Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. My message today is entitled, The You You Base You On. And it's from Ephesians chapter 2. There's a selfie I have. Uh, I've been running these groups that I finally landed on a title called God Take Me Deeper Groups. And I've done it here at Harvest for uh, several years and uh, prior to that in other places. And one of the activities we, we do is we actually take this phantom half-mask, and um, use it as a revealing exercise. And uh, on the outside, uh, people will write things that uh, others naturally see about them. Um, and, uh, you know, various things are put there, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, Jacob was in one of the groups and he put a big muscle in, in, out there and... Um, and uh, uh, PD was in one and put humorous and funny. And um, Now, these are all our perceptions of what we think people see. And, um, and what we do, and then on the inside, we write down words or p- draw pictures of what people typically wouldn't see. Um, and after we do all the uh, draw, uh, drawing and all that stuff, we'll sit around one another and we'll wear the mask without any words. And just look. No explanation, nothing like that. And after a few minutes, we'll take off the mask and put it right next to us and flip it onto the inside and let people just uh, see who we are. You see, the definition of ourselves The definition of you is the process of the human journey from birth to death. Conscious or not, it is the continual question of formation. Who am I? Let me give you a simple psychology 101 explanation of what self-definition, and make it simple. There's three areas that we could look at that says, this is me. Our doing, our being, and our belonging. Let me talk through each one with, with you about them. First there is our doing. Doing is when we're resting on our sense of self based on our abilities and our actions. Accomplishments allow us to say, I find joy in accepting challenges to create or to make things. I am able, it is good to act. This aspect of the self-defined relates to our creativity and our productivity. It is the motivation behind authoring anything, something. 
our skills, our talents, our gifts, our exercise through doing. And that can feel satisfying. If we can remove our comparisons, our perfectionism, and self-criticisms, what is left is that great place of doing. When I am right with what I do, then I enjoy what I do. I have confidence, joy, and pleasures in activities of creating and making. In the world, if this is how you define yourself, the rule is try hard. Produce. Accomplish. And that will define you. Next, we have being. Being is resting your sense of self on character and personality. It's about identity. When our sense of being is undamaged, one can proclaim, I am glad about who I am. It is good to be me. When I'm right with who I am, I'm in harmony with my inner self. There is a sense of self-appreciation, self-acceptance without self-inflation. Just imagine what is left after all our self-doubts, our image projections, and self-abasement is removed. Whatever is left is that pure place of being. What the world, if this is how you base yourself on, then the world has a rule for it. And the rule is, in defining yourself, be good. Be humorous, be intelligent, be energetic, be passionate, be controlled, be free, be charming. Create this image of who you are. Be good. The third part is belonging. When you're defining yourself in belonging, you're resting on your sense of self on your place and your connections. Through belonging, we can say, I connect. I'm in relationships, relationships I could identify with. I have my place. When we are good with where we belong, we have confidence that we are desirable and that we can let others in. It also means we're lovable and that we can love. Once the fear of rejection and the belief of being untouchable are stripped away, then that great, pure place of belonging flourishes. If you live by this, and you define yourself by this, then the world says, fit in. You find intimacy by making people happy. And by the multitudes of friends, you belong. Well, God is concerned about our process, our journey of self-defining. And we're going to look at this passage that my wife had read to help us unpack what the scriptures say about self-definition. The very first thing 
we come across is that part one, you were dead. In the scriptures, in in Ephesians 2, it starts out, once you were dead. Ultimately broken. Once you were is a, a phrase we see throughout many parts of scriptures. Um, and there's, uh, let me give you a few. Right? Ephesians following in verse 13. Once you were far away from God. In Romans six seventeen, Once you were slaves to sins. In Romans eleven thirty, Once you were rebels against God. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, when it talks about thieves and liars and adulterers, uh, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, and saying that none of them will inherit the kingdom of God, Paul goes on to say, and once you were one of them. Ephesians 5, once you were full of darkness. Colossians 1, once you were far away, you were enemies. And then finally, Peter says in two, 1 Peter 2.25, Once you were like sheep who wandered away. Ephesians 2 starts the explanation of the good news with bad news. You were dead. Let's look and what this deadness is in the three parts of our definition of ourselves. This is me dead. First, our doing. According to the scriptures, as you could see, that we were dead in our actions, that we walked or we, we lived, we acted in the course of this world. Dead in our doing, in our ability, has been greatly uh, limited by being dead. Duh. The catchphrase, just do it, um, from the 90s, is a theological and psychological fallacy. What we want to do morally and spiritually falls short. Our attempts toward good works toward accomplishments pale in comparison to what we were designed to do. Pastor Dave uh, referred to Paul's great passage in Romans 7, but what I wanted to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. I know there's nothing good For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out because I'm dead. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I want to do, this I keep on doing. You see, the world's uh, rule of how to define yourself by accomplishments, by doing, the whole idea of trying hard failed me fails us. Because eventually we break under the pressure of trying to constantly measure up. 
It goes like this. Okay, I'm going to try hard. Eh, I didn't quite do what I, I should have done. Okay, I'm going to try harder. Uh, I stumbled and fell again. I didn't reach the bar. So I got to try harder. Sometimes, unfortunately, that's the message in the church. How do you grow? Try harder. Well, I didn't fail. I didn't. Well, trust more. Work harder in your faith. Well, eventually, eventually, you're done. I'm done. And so I give up. And after giving up for a while, maybe I catch my breath and I get a little more energized, I go back and I try hard. And I don't measure up. And I fail. So I try harder. I don't measure up. And I fail. And all this trying to define myself by accomplishments, by great tasks, by great doings, fail me. And so I give up. And this, living under this way of self-defining, you're trapped into that cycle. We're dead in our being. The scriptures we, uh, MJ read says that we are children of wrath. Our nature is flawed because sin came into the world. Dead in our being is a matter of both nature and nurture. In regard to nature, it's interesting to observe in the last couple of decades, how behavioral issues in psychology once thought of purely as a learned behavior are now believed to have genetic components to them. Rage, antisocial behavior, and addictions have been found to have a DNA component to their origin. In regard to nature, that same deadness pervades the social development of each and every being. If you're dependent on your nature, well, you're set up because of sin that brought in death to fail. Read the description of Jesus as what he had in describing the religious leaders of his time. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Like the Pharisees, all humanity suffers from this inner deadness and uncleanness, a condition that needs redemption. You see, being good failed me. I wasn't always funny, smart, energetic. I I was able to keep that uh, long enough to fool my wife to marry me. Um, But she knows after 21 years, uh, I fall short. I was often depressed 
anxious. I was critical. I was out of control. I fell short. Not just in what I did, but in who I am. I didn't like me. And I knew me better than the image I sought to portray to others. We are dead also in our belonging. Scripture talks that we're separated and alienated. Dead in our belonging, our ability, our ability to connect with God, others, and even ourselves has been compromised. Romantic songs throughout the time have expressed timeless, frustrated cries of our desires for connections. We are alienated, feeling alone in the journey, unable to truly know and to be known. We sit in the dark, afraid and lonely. Scripture says that all of us prior to God's intervention of grace are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening, to the breaking, to the deadness of our hearts. You see, finally, trying to live out defining myself through belonging and the rule of fitting in fails me. I always felt different growing up. I came out of a broken family, um, as many of us have. But one of the specific things that made me really feel out of place was being half Japanese and half Caucasian. And uh, back when I was young, um, it wasn't common to see a lot of biracial folks. Um, And I remember distinctly when I tried to fit into the Japanese-American communities, there's a level of acceptance and a level of feeling a little bit on the outside. And that certain things about them and how they uh, kind of inner circle left people be a part of them, I fell out. But when it came to the mainstream Caucasian community, uh, I was clearly racially discriminated, uh, called, oh, I hate to say some of these words. I won't say any of the words. But you all know. And so I fell out of place. That I didn't fit in. And all my attempts through the years have failed me. There's a great effect, an impact on being dead. I'll mention three of them. One, that we're blind. Scripture tells us that in our deadness we're blind. In whom the gods of the world had blinded the minds of them which did not believe, Lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ may shine on them. Sin left us to struggle in ignorance, leaving us to stumble around in the darkness, unable to realize truth. This is why we see alcoholics who don't believe they have a drinking problem. This is why we see people who rage at times, who aren't aware 
that their anger outburst affect others. It's the victim who doesn't know that their abuse isn't normal. Or the overly dependent person who doesn't see how others are exasperated over the attention they demand. We're blind to our state of deadness. Humanity is left to struggle with disconnection, with aloneness. As we've seen, as Scripture tells us, that our separation from God and others, we experience disconnection early in life, and it impacts how we live today. This uh, group that uh, I've been doing at Harvest and these groups have been going on for well over a decade now. Um, One of the uh, things we do is in the beginning, we do this 40-day of journals. And there's a question for every day. And one of the questions is the question that goes, um, write down uh, what you can recall as your last childhood memory of when an adult was present to comfort and help you sort out through a hurt. Well, many of them, as they journaled, it was blank. And when they talked about it, when he talked about it, raised that question, they had nothing. Without another person present in the midst of our hurt, we are indirectly taught to isolate. One of my most painful experiences of my youth is when my father passed away when I was 10 years old. I was in deep anguish, and I felt all alone. We as a family, I have an older brother and younger sister, um, we as a family, including my mom, dealt with my dad's death, each one all by themselves, isolating ourselves from one another and from people around us. Brokenness, deadness, leads us to future breakdown. Yeah, eventually, the walking dead, and by the way, I was looking for clips of a zombie thing. This is the nicest, (laughs) well, they're pretty creepy ones out there. Um, And, uh, why did I pick this one? Um, A dead man, uh, fingers start falling off. And uh, arms start falling, eyes start popping out. I have no visuals for these. Um, A broken sense of self is a great wound of this age. A broken sense of self is a great wound of this age. The wound in which each person's sense of self starts with an initial crack, And through gradual and continual agitations of that crack, a great opening occurs that becomes the fracture in our soul. Sin enters our sense of being, our sense of doing, and our sense of belonging, and the result is the formation of cracks, fractures, damages in our life. Brokenness, 
deadness, we're going to do, want to do something about it. And our, our temptation is to hide it. Both from others, from seeing the truth, and from God, even ourselves. We try to mask it. We try to hide it. And we try to wear this I'm okay mask when really we feel like losers. It's when we participate in the hidden world of our online enticements. Or when, or it could it be when your passive-aggressive co-worker thinks he's doing nothing wrong but forgets the things that sabotages your work while keeping his anger hidden. Guerrilla warfare style. Oh, we are. False images. Our broken, our deadness causes distortions. This man doesn't see like he used to. It messes up our vision, distorting our view of ourselves, of others. We start believing we are this image. We are this mask. By what we do or be or belong. And so we take this dead being and we try to fix it. But the problem is, it's like putting makeup on the dead. This is the most creepiest picture. (laughs) Any of our own efforts to construct or reconstruct this defining ourselves is makeup for the dead. That's the bad news. And that's Ephesians, how Ephesians says, once you were. But the gospel continues. Because the good news is, but now, God in his great love makes us alive. So, as much as in every scripture I read about once you were, there's always accompanying it, but now. I think but now is something you should memorize. Short scripture memorization, but now it all changes to the gospel. There is a reshifting that goes on in the gospel of the definition of you. Let me walk through it. This is me alive in my doing. I totally can't see this. I don't know what to do. Hold on a second. Okay, I can do this. (laughs) In our doing, the Spirit empowers us. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, I'm sorry, not our doing, our belonging. Um, The Father adopts us. In our belonging, we are brought near. Once far off, we've been brought near. We've been reconciled. We have access to the Father. No longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And it simply says, you belong. I belong. 
This is me alive in my being. That is, the Father adopted us to help us in our belonging. In our being, the Son absorbed us. Our identity now is we are his workmanship, according to Ephesians 2. We are fellow citizens, members of us. This is our identity. In him, you are also being built together as a dwelling place. This is all who we are. In our, do, in our doing, the Spirit empowers us. It is not our own doing. It is not a result of our own work. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're made this way. Which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. There's certain key, I can sum up the key idea of how we are made alive by this basic proposition. Being made alive is the repositioning we receive onto the grace through being in Christ. I don't have it up there. Being made alive is the repositioning we receive onto the grace in which we stand through being in Christ. In the, let me read. There's a certain key... It's called the great reposition into grace. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Several years ago, I did a... Uh, a conference, a church conference in Vancouver, one of my favorite places uh, that I've gone. And uh, we spoke, uh, they wanted me to speak through uh, my book called Resisting Grace. And uh, in trying to explain the concept of being now standing in grace, I did this video. Uh, And uh, my daughter helped me with that video. Joel, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not showing it today. Uh, any of you or my friends know I love to show too many videos. Uh, but today, I'll explain it. So in the video, it's a card trick. And Joel is maybe eight years old. Back then, I would guess. True, Joel? Yeah. And, uh, and that was when I could amaze her. Yeah. She turned 13. It's just stopped. I don't um, <laughs> And uh, in, uh, in this video, we do this card trick. And uh, I pull out the joker, and I talk about how our, in our deadness, there is uh, this identity we have. And I know I've done this in the God Take Me Deeper groups. What is this word, if you put your, gave yourself a word, who you, uh, who you once were? And people have written things like uh, uh, don't fit in, or uh, the, the one Joelle wrote down back then was she wrote loser, um, and I I wrote my word in in past things, but she wrote she, so she writes loser on the Joker. And then I talk about this grace that exchanges our deadness uh, 
and Christ takes it on and makes us alive. And uh, so she folds up her uh, joker, right? She holds on to it. And then I, and I write, and I pull out the ace of hearts, and I talk about the work who Christ is in changing us, giving us a new identity. So I wrote the word victor. Um, I put a cross on it because it's the work on the cross in which he gives, uh, makes this great grace exchange. Uh, and then I fold it, and then I said, there's this uh, uh, kiss exchange. Um, and she puts it on her inner mouth, and I put it in my mouth. We do a little father-daughter kiss, peck, and we step back. Then she pulls it out, and she opens it up, and it's the ace of hearts. Um, and then I pull it out, and it's the joker. And we talk about this great grace exchange that he took on the deadness and he gave us life. He took on our identity, our being, as loser or whatever. And he gave us a new identity as victor. He took on what was yours and he gave you what was his. This card trick, every time I, I've done it and I have actually shown it, I, I'm always worried that people are thinking, how did he do that? They're not paying attention to the rest of the message. Uh, all the card trick is is a parlor trick. And uh, guys have used this parlor trick to get kisses and stuff. Uh, don't do that. Uh, um, but what Christ did, it's not just an idea. It's not just a trick. It's just, it's not a, a fake out thing. Um, it, it was done in, re, in reality. It was done in our universe that day. It's as real as the skin that covers my body or yours. And so there's this exchange that occurs. And in part of this exchange, we are repositioned out of deadness into living. Out of all these rules of trying to work hard, of trying to um, be good, of trying to fit in. And then we've been reshifted. And now we stand... In grace. Grace is a common word used, you'll hear it in churches. Tons of books have been read about it. And when I read, wrote my uh, book on resisting grace, I asked myself, why write it? You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Um, but as I did, uh, um, this is what I come to understand what grace means. In the Hebrew word for grace, uh, and and in Hebrew, uh, the language is a visual language. It's a language of images. And so the word grace visually has this picture of being favorably seen, right? I see you favorably. You are the apple of my eye. Is that focused enough? Can you see that image in there? 
being favorably seen. Grace, standing in grace means he sees you with favor. Not because you worked hard, not because you were good, not because you fit in, but because he loves you and as a gift he offers you and me. There's power in being seen differently. One of my favorite uh, plays is The Man from La Mancha. In The Man from La Mancha, there's a character, and her name is called Aldonza. Um, Aldonza uh, works um, at a bar as a waitress by day, um, but to make it through life, in all her deadness, and all her, her uh, brokenness, uh, she makes a, a living also by being a harlot. By being with men and letting them use her so that she can move on with life. Well, the main character of Mano La Mancha is uh, Don Quixote. And Don Quixote is this guy who thinks he's a Spanish knight, uh, but he's a bit delusional. Well, in this one scene, he comes into this uh, bar to order food, and he sees Eldanza, and he's just floored. Yeah, um, she probably was a very beautiful scripture reader, um, and um, he uh, engages with her, and he says, "No, you're not Eldanza." You're Dulcinea, my princess. And uh, she, you know, blows him off. But he keeps on coming and coming, and he sees her not as Aldanza, but as Dulcinea. And in seeing her this way, um, he's convinced. She is his... uh, princess. Well, uh, one of the worst scenes of the play is where um, Aldanza finishes her shift at work, uh, leaves and is brutally beaten and raped by several men. And as she is uh, bleeding and, and, and falling, she goes back into the bar and there is Don Quixote. And Don Quixote says, what has happened, my dear Dulcinea? And she just had it. And she says, I am not Dulcinea. I am Eldanza. I'm nothing but a slut. And she runs out of the bar. And there is Don Quixote. And out of desperation, he simply whispers, but no, no. You're Dulcinea. In the final act, Don Quixote's dying. He's in his deathbed. Friends and family surround him. The few um, that were connected with him. And uh, he's about ready to die. uh, Years have passed by. Uh, They haven't seen uh, each other since that one moment. And there's a a knock on the door. 
And one of the relatives goes down, opens the door, and here is this beautiful, beautiful, uh, elegant woman. And she says, I would like to see Don Quixote. And um, he says, I am sorry, madam, but he's at his deathbed. Uh, I don't know what he has left. I must see him. Please let me see him. So they let uh, her up into his room where people are surrounding him. And she go, And one of the family members says, I don't think he could hear you. I don't know if he's even conscious. And she says, please, let me go. And she comes up to his bedside and says, you must hear me. You must see me. Because I am Dulcinea. And in that moment, he opens his eye briefly and says, I knew you would come, my Spanish princess. You see, that's a story. But the truth behind it is that there's power in being seen favorably. Your value is a gift given to you because you belong to him. And he sees you with favor, placing you out of the cycle of trying harder, being good and fitting in, and placing you in Christ, and therefore a repositioning from dead to alive, from rules to grace. One last thing I want to say about all this. There's an order to the process. In the world, the definition of self will go by the order of doing, try hard, then being, be good, and then finally you could belong, fit in. But the gospel turns it all around, flips it upside down. The definition of ourselves, according to the gospel, is dependent not on our doing, but on our belonging. And that out of our belonging, then our being and our doing flows. If you were to look at this man called Gideon in Judges 6 through 8, and just see the end of the story where 300 men uh, of his army, with him leading, are kicking butt to a multitude of people that even a calculator couldn't reach the numbers. And they are defeating this great enemy. And people may think, wow, Gideon's greatness comes out of what great things he has done. You know, he's the great hero of heroes. You know, that's his identity because, because look, he vanquished. You know, so he's the hero. And so, You belong to the kingdom here. But you'll be reading those three chapters backwards. Because the truth is, Gideon was a scared little twerp. But God reinforced him that you belong to me. And that in those chapters of struggle and doubt, 
Gideon finally realized who he does belong to. And what, therefore, what his identity, what his being really is. And that out of that being came faith to do. And an empowerment by the living God to him. So, how can you apply this? How can we apply this? Let me just suggest a few things. And then I have a video for us. One is, embrace his ownership of you. If you don't accept that you belong to him, then you're following by different rules. The gospel offers you a gift to who you define yourself to be. Alive is the offer. And if you depend on the old rules, then you're in the cycle of defeat and deadness. Embrace his ownership of you. And that would involve, first, surrender. Surrender that work you keep on trying to do to put makeup on your deadness. Surrender that work of defining yourself to him. Let him define you, shape you. The last verse of Ephesians says you are being built. You've been placed into a position of grace and now let me work it out. That you are being built as a temple for the Lord to belong in. Your calling, your death, your, all that stuff is, and your capability is being shaped by the gospel. And the choice is to do it out of deadness or to do it in surrender and being alive. Surrender to the work of defining you to him. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.